0: This is episode number 27 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. You can catch new episodes every Monday morning on iTunes or, of course, at the slash podcast. We've also got a lot of other content on our website, things like marketing research, website tune-ups, where we live run through websites and talk about how we would make them
1: convert better even give you tips on how we would improve them and i think it's a great addition to the podcast to kind of give you some tangibles that we also
0: talk about theory wise on the podcast so check those out absolutely we've got a good lineup of things to talk about that's what i say every episode at least but because we we bring what matters to you we we,
1: we go through all the
0: bullshit and bring you the real real we definitely bring our a game every week Before we get into all that, though, again, like we do every episode, Corey, what are you drinking tonight? What I
1: have already drunk was a sidecar, (laughs) which is a very tasty drink. Quick recipe, one part cognac, half of a part or however you want to do your ratios, lemon, and then triple sec. All in half parts
0: to year one of cognac.
1: Very delicious.
0: That's a great recipe. Um, I'll keep that in mind next time I'm looking for something to drink. Me, I'm going simple tonight. I'm just doing a Jack and Diet. Okay. You've been on that kick for a little bit now. Uh, We'll mix it up next episode for you. (laughs) We need to get
1: back to the pepper tequila
0: infused things oh yeah yeah let's get fancy Next episode
1: we're gonna actually tweet out a picture of rob's crazy alchemy (laughs) concoctions they're quite interesting so anyways let's go ahead and get started again this is episode number 27 before we start if you have any topics you'd like us to cover give us a call we even have our own number that's how legit we are 904-270-9603 Leave a voicemail of something you'd like us to cover, a funny story, leave some fan hate or love for either Rob and I. It'd be greatly appreciated. So for tonight's topics, we're going to be covering inundated with data. Have we reached a breaking point? How do we sift through everything in our lives? And how do we make some actionable decisions? Personalization? Maybe too much? How people read emails? And lastly, wrapping up the episode, more traffic does not mean better. We're keeping that one vague as our typical... That's the cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, so you'll have to stick around to see what we mean by that.
0: Okay, so to start the episode off, and in data with data was the title. I like there's some rhyming in there. But every week, obviously, we have to keep up with the industry to do this podcast. I mean, we can't just go into it blind not knowing what's going on. So we have to keep up with the Twitter feeds, the forum feeds, figure out what events are going on, read the news from all the latest stuff, read the market research from the likes of eMarketer, Marketing Sherpa, eConsultancy, all those guys. So we keep up with everything that's going on. And something I've noticed, definitely not new, but it's something I think is getting worse and worse, just an inundation of data, of Mm -hmm. case studies, of research, PDFs, guides, top 10 tips, webcasts to sign up to everyone's got a twitter feed and they're retweeting a ton of little 140 character little headlines that don't mean much on the surface there's so much out there to sift through uh, there's so much noise how do you find the signal and all of this stuff because even trying to find what you would say is like a trusted source there's still a lot of junk in there and, you know they got to fill it up they got to get those ad you know impressions they got to rank in the search engines for the stuff there's so much junk out there so I think twofold. It's one primarily because everyone is an internet marketing expert, right? So everyone knows how to work a Twitter account or thinks they do. Everyone knows how to run a website and a blog. So everyone's got an outlet. To talk about the latest little tip, trick, whatever thing they came up with.
1: Right. And there's no real filter out there. Right. I mean, you can just broadcast. It's like ham radio style. I mean, you can put up your own antenna and just start broadcasting whatever you want. And barriers to having a professional website and things like that are getting lower and lower. So the appearance of being a professional. Becomes easier and easier with time, uh, and especially in today's day and age. So it is tough sometimes just on appearance wise. In the past, you could kind of tell, all right, this guy made his site on Microsoft web- <laughs> <you> know, website <laughs> right, builder. Right. And then you could tell like the companies that have actually invested some. Now it's almost like some of the legit companies have embarrassing websites. And that's true. the design aspect that you used to could lean on as maybe a marker for professionalism or expert level, that's kind of been taken away. Um, yeah. So it's been interesting. Well,
0: I think in that same vein, so the other sort of indicator that you can use to find out if something's legit or not is just, you know, looking at how many people follow them on Twitter, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, do they just sort of seem overall... Like, a lot of other people trust them, right? Well, I don't think that's even a good indicator anymore.
1: We've kind of proven that.
0: Right. Some of the stuff that we've done. I mean, Twitter's crazy. Yeah, so, you know... What oftentimes happened is just the companies who have been around for a decade, mm-hmm. those are the guys who have everybody paying attention to what they're saying. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're saying anything that's relevant anymore. Yeah, it's the, they're
1: recycling or rehashing the same stuff they have been over the last decade.
0: Right. They just keep saying the same thing over and over again, which, having events yeah. that say the same thing over and over again, which is good to a certain degree. But I think the final and what makes this complicated, at least in our industry specifically, is that Number one, the industry is young, right? Mm-hmm. But I think so many people coming into the industry or who are sort of entrenched in the industry right now are young themselves and looking for sources they can trust, tips, tricks. They haven't been doing this for a decade. So they trust these data points they get from people. They trust these top 10 articles. They trust the webcasts from you know all these big name companies. They trust what they learn at all these events and take everything as if it's gospel. And I think the problem with that kind of stuff is... People say those things to get the headlines, to get the tweets, to get more people fill in seats. They can't say... I um, only got a
1: 10% gain on here. Because it's right. like, oh, well, you failed then. With, it wasn't 100.
0: Right. With the list of caveats that say, you know, in this specific example, this is what we did on our website and we got this little lift. That doesn't sell anything.
1: Right. And it might not work in these industries.
0: Right. So I think sort of the takeaway from all of this, that was sort of my rant on our industry, hmm. is... You know, really, you can't take everything you read online as if it's gospel, even if it's coming from some of these big name brands. You have to dig deep into what they're actually saying. You can't just take that headline that says, reword your email subject line for a 325% lift in conversions, right? Okay, so that may have worked for their specific example. If it was even true. If, right. If they didn't (laughs) even, number one, make it up. Number two, have an incredibly small data size that's not valid you got to read into it. you got to read into how they ran this test. Who did they run it against? What exactly were they testing?
1: My takeaway from this would be take some time and trim out some. If you're subscribed to a lot of blogs and you're spending a bunch of time reading, I applaud the effort and the... The go-getter mentality. Sure. Or trying to better yourself if that's what you're really trying to do. But what I think, as you mentioned in the beginning, you can really paralyze yourself with like too much. And you end up spending your time reading over stuff that one might not even be true or outdated. But a lot of the stuff is contradictory out there as well. You know, you'll read one case study that'll tell you use huge orange buttons. And you'll read another one that says, Oh, well use blue. Why would you use any other color? Here's our test to prove why. And that's a very stupid example, but there are tons of case studies and landing page tips and tricks that step all over each other. Some are faced based on facts, some are just someone's opinion. But It ends up wasting a lot of your time and frustration, and what it also paralyzes you from is developing your own ideas. What it fosters, and I see in a lot of people, is they just jump from tip workbook or the next event they can go to to get ideas and they're they only allow other people to generate their own ideas because they're so focused on digesting all this content they don't they don't really have that much time to strategize on their own or they dominate their time that they have available to strategize on these things, spending it on all this. So instead of taking the time to kind of craft something that might work really well for their applications, they're just letting everyone else just supply all their ideas, which might be subpar to what you could actually come up with yourself. So for example, you know, maybe cut your reading time in half and spend it on something else, like actually doing a usability panel with your own customers. Or if you work in an industry where, uh, potentially, marketing and sales are divorced from one another. Instead of reading blogs for a couple hours, why don't you go sit down with some of the salespeople? Understand, when I hand you off leads, or you're talking to customers, what is it that they're interested in? You know, for the cu- the customers that you might not interact with that much past what you're trying to do. And I think your time might be better spent, instead of spinning your wheels kind of rehashing what the latest and greatest is, which again might not be true at all, to understand your business a bit better and craft your own ideas and not paralyze yourself with always hunting for the latest and greatest because again, the questionability of a lot of the stuff that comes in our industry cannot be ignored. Uh, but I think it, it also stagnates your own creativity when you're just always self-consuming with what everyone else has to do, and you don't really grow much yourself.
0: Right. I think well, I think right there at the end, what you just said is is the important takeaway. It's that you know, even if all of this stuff works, even if all these top ten tips they're true and they work, and they work for your business, you're not learning anything. Mm-hmm. You're relying on someone to come out with the next top. 10 tips article, and you're always searching for that and waiting for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Time is better spent researching your own industry, testing your own things, gaining that experience that will allow you to be the person who comes up with those tips. Not necessarily saying you need to publish them, sure, but the person who comes up and finds out what works for your company mm-hmm. that's where you need to spend your time, yeah.
1: So Take some time this week. Why don't you just desubscribe from some blogs? Like Simplify your life a bit. If you're one that is just always poring over that stuff, downloading ebooks, all that kind of stuff, just take a break from it for a little bit. Do some usability panels. Take a time and look at your analytics strongly. Or just take a couple hours and just really sit down and strategize. What are some things that you've never done on your website or that you think could be really a game changer? And really start pursuing those instead of allowing you know, some nobody on the internet or someone that wrote a book 10 years ago about conversions dictate what your strategy should be. So be your own strategist. So the next topic I wanted to cover, interesting product release I came across this week. It was with a testing tool that I've used in the past, Monotate, which has some interesting features and some unique things to their brand, which might make it a good fit for some companies out there. But in particular, they released a new feature that they launched called live audience. So what they are promising marketers is the ability with their data feeds to solve one of the big missing gaps in the personalization space of being able to personalize a visit for people that are brand new to your site. So if you don't know what personalization is or how we're using it in this context, there are have been some technologies out there for a while that will look at user behavior and allow you to change your website based on what patterns that we see whether that's orders placed whether that's you're looking at certain things on our website or you came in from a certain source we can change things about that website experience maybe it's where we're pricing products what ebook or lead page we're sending you a bunch of different stuff anyways the problem that has always been present is That's fine for people that are returning to our website or have actually interacted with our website on a number of pages. But what about when Rob comes to my website for the first time and I don't know anything about him? What do I do? (laughs) So what Monetate has been working on is partnerships to collect information on people kind of similar probably to how a lot of ad networks will collect information on people with their uh, portfolio of sites. And then With their service, they're able to tell you something about these first time visitors for very specific segments that they've already identified. So, in a working example, if I own an electronics shop. Monetate might be able to tell me that Rob has actually been looking at televisions over the last couple of days. So for our website, we might want to, if we offer a lot of different things, maybe it's stereo equipment, maybe it's computers, TVs, all that kind of stuff. When he arrives onto our site, we want to push televisions up to the top and create a relevant experience to him. So I wanted to kind of talk about that, what yeah. you thought about that feature Is that maybe going too far on personalization? Is it maybe something that's potentially not needed or something that is a nice checkbox to have?
0: Yeah, I think, well, I know that you have firsthand experience working with a few of these big tools like the Marketos and the Exact Targets Mm. and things like that that allow you to do a lot of this fancy targeting and CRM-based, let's keep track of what people have done over the last 90 days on our website and serve them very specific marketing campaigns. I think the problem with, and I think on the surface, that all of that sounds amazing. And I think if you have a simple product offering, a lot of that can be very powerful for you. You can build in simple rules and that makes sense, and it's very easy to keep track of. I think the problem is for a lot of companies, number one, they don't have the staff trained to actually implement a marketing strategy that uses advanced segmenting like that. So, with your specific example, I think some of your examples were, okay, so if I, as me, Rob, I've never been to your website, hit your web page you sort of know a little bit about what I've been looking at in the past. But tactically, what exactly do I do with that in a grand scheme, Mm -hmm. right? So your specific example of maybe I was looking at TVs, you show me some TVs. That works for that example. How often does that actually happen on your site, right? So an e-commerce store, that may happen a lot. For a lot of other um, websites out there, I don't know if that's an actual scenario that's going to help them. It's just the selling point for a lot of these big marketing platforms, Right. That's just sort of my initial...
1: Yeah, and I think that it solves a problem probably for a very particular set of people. Like right. we were talking about before, for a lot of traffic sources, I know somewhat of what you're interested in based on how you're coming in. If it's an email campaign or if it's a television spot, if we're talking about all offline sources or I've paid for a placement somewhere else or PPC ad, I know what you are searching for And what ads you might have been exposed. You know, there are some question marks when we get into organic and direct traffic, obviously. But I think you're kind of going after a smaller piece of the pie than maybe it appears at the first go of looking at a feature like this. But also from a privacy standpoint, too, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say that us as marketers, I think we have to kind of be weary of how far down the rabbit hole we go for the ripple effects that something like this could happen. When a lot of people started freaking out about web metrics, that that's like collecting too much information, why I'm on someone's website, and some people kind of got stirred up. I feel like that's really easy to deflect when you really tell people what we're actually collecting, And how anonymous a lot of that kind of stuff is and how it kind of helps the business. It would be no different than a lot of businesses videotaping inside their store. I think when we start branching outside of those technologies and starting to share, actively monitoring what you're doing on other sites, bring that information into other sites. I think that really starts to weird people out getting tracked everywhere. What the repercussions are if people start really getting perturbed about what's going on in the web what that might take away from us as marketers. So I think we I, do probably need to think about that as yeah, well. Yeah, I
0: definitely agree with all that. I think maybe though too, I wonder exactly how this works. So the easy example is that's pretty straightforward, although I would question how it knows I was looking at TV. So what does that mean? Does that mean I was reading a news article about televisions, meaning I'm not interested in buying one in any way? But they released a new 90-inch TV, so I got to see what that looks like, of course. Right, exactly. Or was it because I was actually on a competitor's website looking, browsing through their TV selection? So in, in that first case, trying to sell me a TV is not relevant in any way. The second one, it is. So how does this company do that? Secondly, how exactly do they categorize things? I mean, the TV one, again, that's maybe a little straightforward. But outside of that example, so say, for instance, B2B, how do you categorize things?
1: I was looking for a CRM. Well, that's what we sell.
0: So, what, right. did, what did you give me? That's hopefully hugely... all my traffic is like that. <laughs> right, exactly. So, how do you, how do they segment those things out? And I, I think again though, tactically, I don't know how many companies could actually take advantage of this. Right. And I know you've had experience with a lot of teams, you know, who use these powerful products that are very expensive and don't use them to their full capacity mm-hmm. in any way. Yeah,
1: I mean, I've worked with teams that use these hundreds of thousands of dollar a year systems to swap out banners on a site and really provide services that I could hire a very base level programmer at pennies on the dollar compared to what you're spending there to do a similar function. So I think you're right. I think it's a great feature to talk about. It's pretty ooh, that sounds really fancy, but when you really get into it, how will people actually tactically be able to pull that off from a manpower standpoint, but also reliability of the data and what you're actually relaying me to? I would caution people to not get caught up in in gimmicks just in general. Monetate's product overall, though, is very well polished, and I think that this product offering might work well for some very particular instances like we talked about with maybe some e-commerce platforms. But it will be interesting to see how that feature matures in its age. But I would also caution us as marketers, we got to be careful with how much information that we're collecting and how that might get out and how it's perceived. So let's move on. You had an interesting study about how people get their read on with emails and what we might need to consider as we craft these messages or think about how they get delivered and consumed.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously all of us here in this internet marketing game, we get tons of emails all the time. How do we filter them? Where do we read our emails? Is it on our MacBook? Is it on our iPhone? Is it on our iMac? Whatever it be, you know?
1: Are you just (laughs) purposely saying all the Apple products?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So this is a report straight off, hot off the presses from EMarketer where they did a study that tries to analyze how people actually read emails, on which devices, what are the open rates across various devices, but even further still, across various industries. So the first one is a very broad sort of generalization of, okay, in general, where do most people open emails, read them? Is it desktops? Is it tablets? Is it mobile phones? You know, what have you. So it turns out 48.1% of people open emails on their smartphones. 38.1% of opens are on desktops. And only 13.8% are on tablets. Moving forward, aren't tablets like a huge industry right now? But Maybe people don't
1: use them for email and work purposes. Maybe they're just using them for entertainment reasons or they're like reading books or things like that. Maybe the general consensus out there is more of a luxury item and I just kind of doodle, play words with friends. and
0: Yeah, that that does make sense. I mean, for me personally, I've had a first gen iPad and I've never actually set up my email on it. You know, 48.1% of opens being on a smartphone makes total sense to me. Almost every email I get is originally opened on my phone. And if it's junk, I get rid of it. If it's good, I'll leave it there and I'll look at it on my desktop later. So that stat sort of makes total sense to me. I think anyone who has a smartphone probably has email enabled and is probably getting emails first on their phone. That makes sense to me. Desktops being still high up there, people at work, just getting their work emails, opening them there. I think that makes sense. All right, so let's look at the breakdown in terms of how much. This says length of time that marketing emails are read in the U.S. by device. I don't really want to get into the specifics of how they know how much time people are spending. They don't even really go into that themselves. Yeah, I don't know how from a technology standpoint
1: you can, other than doing an
0: actual study where you're watching people. Right, my guess would be survey-based, just sort of asking people in general mm-hmm. how much time do you spend. So results may be up for interpretation, but there are definitely some outliers here. Mileage so mileage
1: may vary from the beer
0: marketers. <laughs> right. So this is actually broken down time spent reading each email. Okay. Android phones up at the top, 50-something percent. Spend more than 15 seconds reading marketing emails, followed by Android tablets, 40%, iPhones, 40-something percent, desktops starts trailing off, iPads starts trailing off. 15-plus seconds it seems like an outrageous amount of time to re- be reading in a marketing email. I don't know. What, what are your initial thoughts on that?
1: Well, you know, I wonder if the—because things in some instances happen at a slower pace on phones— does that carry over to these time stats? I'm used to slow loading emails versus my laptop. Or is there usually more messages waiting for me when I'm checking on my desktop? I think there's a lot of variables there. But most marketing messages that I get on my phone, or just in general, are very short. Maybe that's just a a symptom of what I'm signed up for in okay. general, But I don't really get a lot of emails where I feel like I need to read more than 10 seconds to get the gist of the email and and hop in and get onto a landing page or just delete it. So it does seem like a bit of a long time, but if they're getting survey data, that might be the reason for that
0: as well. The, the rest of the time segments were between 3 and 15 seconds and between 0 and 3 seconds. They sort of followed the trend of the first one, you know, which I guess makes sense if you're surveying people. But the difference between an Android phone and an iPhone being almost like 10% difference.
1: Well, it's um, also hard to quantify, which I think is a less of a problem with iPhones, too, is Android phones is a pretty loaded term. There's a wide range of different devices that are in that ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that makes sense. I I still know a lot of people who, you know, rock the sort of iPhone 3, whatever the heck it was from way back in the day 3Gs, something like that, or something else. With a busted
1: screen or something? Right, yeah.
0: So still rocking the curved back one. Ooh. That hasn't been around for a few gens. But I think that, you know, if this study didn't take into account load times, I think that's a huge indicator in terms of, especially with Android. Android phones in general are slower. I mean, everyone knows this.
1: Well, I think that going back to one of our old points about personalization, this is actually one where I think that there is a case for personalization. I mean, one of the things that I've seen some good return on is learning people's email habits, how they're interacting with your emails, looking at device detection on landing pages, and then understanding Rob usually accesses my emails on a phone. We're going to deliver him a phone optimized email versus a desktop one based on the usage patterns that we see. So I think that this study does show that there is some very specific and nuanced differences with how you're accessing emails, how much attention you get. And that is a case for potentially investing in some email personalization or some systems that can help you understand your list a bit better and maybe serve them relevant emails to how they access your messages more often Yeah,
0: absolutely. It's a way to light a fire under your tech teams to make responsive designs that work beautifully across everything. Finally, to sort of wrap this segment up, I'm going to talk about a a few specific industries and the differences between desktop open rates and phone open rates, because there are actually some drastic differences in some industries. For example, financial services. I'm guessing this is banks and alike. Roughly a 10% open rate on desktops, about a 2%. phones so i got an email from city cards on my phone (laughs) straight Mm -hmm. to trash (laughs) on my desktop though one out of 10 chance i'm gonna actually open that. well
1: i think that there might be a lot of things in play there number one do i feel safe accessing that information on my phone versus a desktop and number two when it comes to financial services if i'm going to be looking at a lot of numbers or potentially having to go through a lot of security that gets a little frustrating on the phone Uh, So I think that depending on the source of your emails might influence some of those open rates because I know it might be really frustrating going through this on a mobile device. Uh, So potentially I just don't even open it up because oh I'll open it up and read it, but I don't click through because I don't want to deal with that on this particular device that I'm accessing it right now.
0: All right, the last one we're going to talk about here is healthcare, almost a 42% open rate on desktops. Whoa, that those are some serious numbers right there. But mobile, only like 18%. Huge difference there. I think maybe some of that psychology you just spoke about in terms of financial services may apply there too. I
1: don't want to read these medical forms on my small screen.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'm just thinking of me personally, I don't get any emails that are worth anything from any healthcare provider, you know, insurance, all that kind of stuff. So the none of those rates are worth, zero. right. Yeah,
1: exactly. We'll tweet out the link to this study. There are some interesting takeaways. I think it does point to a case to be had for understanding your list How are people accessing your emails and how you might need to alter your email templates to better serve your list, but also... If you see a lot of mobile usage, you might want to play around with some members of your list to potentially deliver it in times where they might access it on a desktop or another medium source where you might get some higher interaction points. So I think there's some good tacticals that you can take away there, potentially get some higher conversion from your list that you might have been struggling with in the past. So last thing we want to talk about, a little more theoretical. More traffic doesn't mean better. So I was reading an article in Search Engine Land this week, and they were giving some tactical tips for local businesses and how they need to look at their analytics. The article, so-so. But what it really sparked talking about was we run into a lot of businesses that take the mantra or have the working hypothesis that I just need to get more visitors. What can we do? What do we always hear? We always hear, how can we get more visitors? How can we increase it? We need to get more visitors. In a lot of instances, that's not necessarily good. Just increasing your traffic numbers Number one, oftentimes comes at a cost, whether it's the time that you're investing in this campaign, whether it's real dollars because you're paying for these visitors, but there's always a cost, really a trade-off. There are no free lunches. And a lot of times it can actually be a negative. In the SEO world, if you start to increase your traffic and you're also increasing your bounce or you're getting a lot of non-relevant users in there, it can start to affect your Rankings because Google is saying that, or Bing or Yahoo, that they're sending you traffic and they're coming right back. So even as you increase your traffic for these long tail words, you know, maybe you're going after really long keywords and you're technically increasing your traffic, but it's actually a detriment to your business, whether that's, like I said, in marketing dollars or uh, search engine rankings, how people need to kind of shift their mindset is evaluating Who are my quality visitors? Who are the specific visitors that I want to get in front of? Maybe it's people in a specific region. Maybe we're even getting really deep into like certain neighborhoods or geographical regions and certain parts of the U.S. that we're covering. Maybe it's people for very, very specific key terms that through our analytics that we can see convert very highly. You know, maybe we're a B2B company and we sell a CRM, you know, we were talking about that earlier on. We find that people that are looking for small business CRM solutions work really well. Instead of kind of going after the general CRM term, we start to try to go after maybe less visitors with some more targeted messaging. But we know our dollars are spent more smartly there. So I really wanted to challenge people this week to take some time and look at who are the VIPs that come to your site? Who are the people that you want to get in front of? And think about paring back. We just need to get all our numbers up. And instead, think about how can we tactically go after the VIPs that we've identified and how do we do that in a a smart way so we can potentially save our company some money instead of carpet bombing everything, but also save ourselves some headaches in managing this monstrosity of of an effort into what works smartly and efficiently and how do we scale from there?
0: Yeah. So a lot of those principles, I think, really cut to the heart of what SEO should really be about. And that is deep diving and finding out what are the current keywords traffic sources demographic data that we can find that are those vips like you said these are the people that this is our bread and butter these are the people who convert like crazy right finding out you don't have to nurture them that much they're just ready to
1: go throw their money at us right so
0: (laughs) finding out what those parameters are of those visitors and going out and finding more of those visitors instead of in the crm example you gave instead of going out and buying banner ads and all these Customer relationship blogs or whatever. Don't go out and buy a bunch of paid search traffic for CRM. Don't go out and try to rank for CRM and in the, in the blow forty bucks a click on that. Right. Don't don't waste your time with all that stuff. That's not going to work. You you already know who your bread and butter people are. Yeah, you're maybe not going to get fifty thousand visitors a day, right? But you're going to get five hundred, and those guys all convert, right. and your ROI is huge on your campaigns and it's something that especially in SEO a lot of people still even to this day ignore. They still want to rank for those man those top five keywords. Yeah. They want to rank for CRM. They want to rank for those terms that yeah, that's a ton of traffic, but it's so general and broad and they're not sold on your brand. That those aren't necessarily the people who convert. Right. It's just visitors at that point. Exactly. So
1: I want to challenge people don't fall into the more always have to get more and more and more think about where are the VIPs how can I get the meaningful people and how do we go about doing that so this has been episode number 27 again this is Rob and Corey the Bearded Marketers if you got a topic for us to cover in an upcoming episode give us a call 904-270-9603 been stressed out boss yelling at you you don't know what to do contact Rob and Corey and we'll Bob Vila your problem and show you how you can turn that thing around but until next time Again, this has been the Beard Markers, and we'll see you next week.